You're listening to Sports Radio Detroit. Get the scoop on Tigers today. Tigers SRD on SportsRadioDetroit.com. Welcome to another episode of Tigers SRD here on SportsRadioDetroit.com, powered by the Overtime Media Network. I'm Roger Castillo alongside me, Chris Brown, as we sit in. The Tigers are in Philly for a two-game set, and they just came off a series where they were in getting in a, a strange weekend in Chicago and just uh it's been a, it's been a strange stretch of baseball but the Tigers finished April in terms of a relatively you know 13 and 14 so they're just under 500 for the month coming into May 1st and Chris first of all I can't believe it's already May yeah it's crazy yeah you know the, the my theory is that the earth spins faster the older you get I would agree and, uh, with that before we know it, we're like 85, and what happened? Yeah, and, then, the, and then we're talking about uh, getting early bird specials somewhere. Delicious. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, the, the flooding, uh, I was just talking to Chris beforehand, I got a major flooding down here in the south side of the city of where I live in Dearborn Heights, and uh came out pretty bad, but uh, there's people, the thing that really disgusted me about this whole storm, Chris, was there were people driving around in their Jeeps, with their kids on the back of like float like those uh pool floaty or like the, an inner tube? Yeah, inner tubes. <laughs> it was gross, man. I'm like you, people. Yeah, it was like you know what's in that water? Ugh. 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 Well that's the thing, yeah. I wonder I, I assume people didn't know. I, I didn't know, you know, I didn't uh, I didn't really know about any of that happening until I saw the pictures from you this morning. So I don't know if it was sewage or what, but just storm storm drains. But you know, people you find any collection of water, and you're going to find a collection of idiots to jump in that water <laughs> and do something on it. It's it's one of the few things we know about this world. It's a it's a guarantee. But uh, so uh, coming up on the podcast, today, we do have some uh, listener questions that we had call are coming in as well. We'll get to the Tigers, like we said just the previous week. Some uh, eerie continuing to do some bagels out there. A lot of farm, mm-hmm. right? a lot of stuff going on in the farm activity as well, but. Uh, so yeah, let's let's talk about the. We talked. I know you kind of recapped the game yesterday on Locked on Tigers, and you, your your Tiger of the Month was Nico Goodrum, which was I thought was a logical choice, made sense. And then of course Pitcher of the Month was Matt Boyd. But uh, you know, if we're looking at in terms of Tigers for, you know, if I if I had to throw in mine, my Tiger of the Month, it, it, it's, you know, I, I know it's going to get some uh, strange response from this, but you know what, I'll, I'll give it to. Candelario, and I'll, I'll I'll tell you why. And and simply put, like if if I had a you know my blue chew or whatever uh, terminology like sponsored for Tigers SRD, and I think it's because Candelario has been adjusting very well in the leadoff spot the last couple of weeks. Here, he's two for two for tonight in the game against Philly. Um, I thought he's played outstanding defense. His bat aside, uh, Candelario has had some really good at bats going back to the Chicago. Uh, Chicago in the, in the Boston series, and he might end again. His, his numbers are still kind of not coming in terms of power numbers right now. He hasn't had a home run yet this season, but overall, 
I don't know. I, I've, I've liked his approach to plate, and if I had to throw in something that wasn't uh, good room, I would put in Candelario. I can dig it. I mean, he's, you know, the power hasn't shown up, but he's, he's like you said, he's, he's been playing really good defense. That's been the thing that's impressed me the most. And if you've got a glove at third base, you can you can stick around for a while. And, and there's there's still a lot to work with there. If he starts hitting for power, then you got something to talk about. But uh, yeah, that's solid. I mean, the traditional guys haven't really shown up yet, Cabrera and Castellanos. So you, you kind of have to go digging for somebody else. Yeah, not to mention, I mean, he is leading the team of walks too. So mm-hmm. there's that. And then the other for honorable mention, I mean, Shane Green's a slam dunk choice for the bullpen. But I would give a uh, a strong indication for Buck Farmer, who has pitched well as of late and has been able to kind of – he was he talked about this a couple of weeks ago, not nibbling as much as going aggressive against the hitter. He got a double play here just in this game, and he's been he's been very aggressive. And I've liked his – so far in April, last year he kind of struggled a little bit out of the gate. And I was like, no, no, he'll come around. But he looks a lot different uh, this year than he did last year at the same time. Yeah, no, it's um... – I know the bullpen as a whole has been more impressive than I was expecting. And they just, you know, we cut, we saw this last year. Like the, the team was good for like the first, not good, but they were much better than we expected for the first couple months, and then things fell apart. But um, I don't know. I mean, the the starters have been doing okay. I think the starters have been solid. It's it's really just kind of waiting on the offense this year, which seems different. And I feel like it's going to happen eventually. But I don't know. Yeah, like. I predicted them to lose 60 or win 68 games, and I could see them topping that now, maybe 70, 72, which would be, boy, that'd be enough to get Al Avila that extension, I think. Oh, boy. And then to the, so, although I think there's two schools of Tiger fans when it comes to Al Avila. Either you think he's doing a great job and the farm system's coming a long way, or you're realistic and you think he's not developed it enough. And I think you and I are on the realistic side of things, but there's, Definitely a school of fans out there after what happened in Erie, which we'll get to during the Down on a Farm report, that think that Alavila is going to be the general manager of the year. But, uh, I mean, does that sound too far-fetched? Perhaps. But <laughs> it just, I don't know. You, you, that train, like you said, that train is going to start, you know, it started steam, you know, it's starting the, the steam, it's starting to get going. And But, uh, yeah. You know, either way, but uh, the Tigers, so let's talk about the last couple series, like last couple games before the Philly series. They go in after losing two in a row in Boston. They go and have one of the worst games I've ever seen on national TV or on TV Friday night, the 12-11 loss to the White Sox in which the Tigers were up 9-2. to Norris battled his way through a start. wasn't too bad. And then it just got really, really ugly as the Mudhens bullpen came up. And it was essentially the back end of the bullpen uh, right in here. And Verhagen, well, Verhagen, Verhagen wasn't bad, but... Uh, Reinhager just got lit up. He one third of an inning, five hits, five runs. He allowed a two allowed two home runs. Uh, yeah, his ERA was a nice sixty seven point five zero. But but defensively, the those right field bloopers that went got between it just looked like something out of the major league movie. It just it looked bad. Yeah, and and uh, you know we're not crazy. I don't think Reinhager is much of a prospect at all. Uh, interesting arm, but somebody did point out that he. Just the, the strange nature of he was the 26th man for the doubleheader in Boston. So he went from like Toledo to Boston to Charlotte to Norfolk to Chicago in like a 72-hour period. So he was probably like, what the hell's going on? I don't even know where I am. But uh, yeah, it doesn't. That, that was, 
don't know. Games like that are kind of fun to me, but yeah, it was a debacle. It was, it was one of the longer nine inning games I can remember. And then they followed it up with the twenty strikeout game, which was just you know that's the chef kiss of oh. the fingers. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna. <laughs> that's a good way to describe. It. But before we get to that, real quick, that Abreu play where he overran him <laughs> for the home run. That was even after that, the Tigers still had a chance to win the game, which was the strangest part because the White Sox just kept shooting themselves in the foot too. Yeah, I mean it was two bad teams really, really duking it out in the middle of the ring. I think it's you know, Brandon posted that link to that crazy UFC fight that I'd never seen, where the dudes were just wailing on each other. It's insane. I don't know how they didn't die. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was so weird. Like, I, I, I hadn't seen a play like that where the runner passed, with that the guy who hit the home run passed the runner. But then Keenan went and found one that happened last year. I think I was like, well, all right. I guess uh, he just didn't remember. But yeah, it was it was a wild game. Probably one of the more memorable games of the year, and, and what should be a rather rather know forget forgettable year that's gonna be something i'm gonna remember at least yeah and you, you talk about the 20 strikeout game and let's talk about sunday's game where I, again lopez lopez pitched has pitched better than his numbers have indicated as a upon further review but what what's interesting about that was the, the white sox bullpen has been atrocious but they went out mm-hmm. and did not allow a hit it was a, it just they the tigers have been able to get back they've been feasting on the white sox bullpen but between fry herrera and homey be able to hold it down and did well for a pretty decent start for Lopez who went well, I mean decent as in impressive six innings two hits one run and 14 strikeouts and Chris what was in you know I, I tuned into the podcast a little bit was this fastball had a lot of movement to it I mean I, I, I watched a little bit of the game it just didn't seem like anything special I, I don't know if I was missing something with that or not but I mean I know Lopez is a is a good arm for them but it just didn't seem like anything that was out of the ordinary, or am I just imagining that? No, I, I mean, it was just really firm. It wasn't, uh, it didn't seem to have, like, you know, cra- like you said, crazy movement, but he was, he he had really good, solid control. So he was, you know, dotting on the outside, and he just put it in places where guys couldn't hit it. But yeah, there was just, a, there was a lot of uh, getting behind in counts, and then, uh, you know, swinging and not making any contact at all with the, the, the fastball. So I don't, I, mean, I don't think it's considered like a particularly high spin fastball or anything like that. I think he just maybe had one of those those games where he was feeling it and was putting it where he needed to. Yeah, and you know, it was interesting. It was the the aftermath after the game where everybody's like, "We're calling for Lloyd McClellan's head because he's a bad hitting coach." And look, Anthony Finnick, I don't know, in the last couple of years has become one of my favorite follows on Twitter because he's just been just just keeping it real. I, I don't know, but it's uh, mm-hmm. phenomenal. But he was talking about what the fans wanted and. He did a really good piece in the free press about it, where some of the fans responded kind of strangely to him. But look, you can't blame Lloyd McClellan. You can only do go so far as is he is he a good hitting coach? Not really. But is it also development? Absolutely. If they're having a bad, if it's a bad approach to the plate. It's in their DNA. It's the, what they inherited. It's nothing. There's no. I mean, a, a hitting structure's job is to get them in a better position and what have you. But if the habits are habits, if the guy's drawing a lot of walks in high school and that's more likely might be his M.O. going forward. But to have Lloyd McClellan get that much blame is kind of, to me, a little hysterical. Well, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a traditional fan thing where the pitching's bad, so you go after the pitching coach. The, the hitting's bad, so you go after the hitting coach. It's, it's though they have anything to do with it. <laughs> like, they really... I mean, I could see if your pitching coach 
is a racist, you can get rid of him. Or if your hitting coach is just like a drunk and is not doing research. But really, yeah, I mean, it comes down to the talent or some sort of, you know, completely drastic organization-wide change in approach in the offseason. And, I, I mean, what I – mean, I, I question why Lloyd McClendon is such a huge believer in Jacoby Jones. He's always talking about how he's going to hit one day. And, and that makes me wonder about his bona fides. And, and again, like, I don't know if he's even qualified to be a hitting coach whatsoever, but I don't – I don't know that you can just explicitly blame him for a lack of talent on the team and, and bad approaches and things like that. These are the players have to go do the job. Yeah, and, and and you're right, Chris. I mean, and that's the thing. Like, you can't. He can only go so far. He can only do so much. And if they're not, it's it's just it's the simple thing about even like when it applies to all sports too. The offensive coordinator in football, it's different. At least in my opinion, that. You can scheme a certain way and it doesn't work out. Then, of course, you can fire the you know the offensive corner. But baseball, it's a lot different. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if football is is essentially a strategy sport. There's far less strategy in baseball. There's a lot of skill and a good deal of luck. Um, so you can't like strategize your way around a bad hitter. It's just it can't be done. So. You could scheme around a bad defense or a quarterback who can't throw, but there's nothing much you can do when your center fielder is hitting 170. Yeah, exactly. And there's there's only so much you can you, you, like even the batting eye. I mean, you can't influence yeah. his eye at, at that point too. But but either way, um, I made for an interesting interesting start. But uh, don't look now as we look around the league a little bit with the Twins when a one and a half game lead. Over the Indians right now, currently, I know it's still really early, but we talked about the Twins throughout the off season, how well they had they had really in terms of spending their money effectively, and just kind of um, building up their not only their bullpen but a a rotation that really came last year, kind of started last year a little bit, but uh, they were able to just kind of add some pop, they had some bats, they added Cruz, they added um, oh God, what's the other bat they added? I'm trying to think of oh. Jonathan Shoop from Baltimore, Marlon Mar- Marlon Marlon Gonzalez. Yeah, who's uh who's been bad a little bit better, but uh, they had, you know Eddie Rosario with eleven home runs already. That's a big reason why this this team is. I saw a stat from our a friend of the show uh, Seth Strohs. The Twins' home run is already like outpacing something since like the nineteen sixties when they had Harlan Cliver. It was like sixty four. I think it was the team that went to the World Series against the Dodgers, but. This team's been able to hit the ball very well, and and getting. I mean, outside of uh, Varios, Jaco Rizzi has seemed like he's pitched. Finally, kind of found his groove here so far. Yeah, and you know, it was just it's funny. Just earlier tonight, I was thinking like, hey, you don't know if the Twins would be a decent trade partner for the Tigers. You know, generally you don't want to trade within the division, but like I was just thinking, they're not gonna. Go go out there and run Michael Pineda out every fifth day if he keeps pitching the way he is. And I'm like, well, they could probably use Matthew Boyd and Shane Green, and we could probably use Trevor Larnick and Bruce Dar Gratterall or something <laughs> like that. You know, I mean, I think there's a fit there because the the Twins, the Tigers, kind of need corner outfielders, and the Twins have Kepler locked up. They have Kirilov coming, and they have Trevor Larnick. They, there's there's going to be an option there. So I don't know. You know, I uh, I would like to think that Alavila. Well, we'll talk about this later. This is actually one of the questions. So, but okay. yeah, I was just thinking that. 
the Twins, I think they're going to be in it all year. I don't, I don't think the Indians are going to run away with this by any stretch. And uh, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if the Twins actually do run away with it. But I do think they need help uh, on the mound. Yeah, they do. They definitely need to get some more, uh, you know, some more starting pitching there to kind of help it out. But yeah, honestly, you know what? Hey, I know as much as we have a lot of uh, shortstops out there too, either a guy like Nick Gordon or even uh, what was it uh, Brent Rooker? Yeah, Rooker's another corner outfielder. You know, he's kind of a first base corner outfielder, but and the, yeah, they have Nick Gordon's. The shine has kind of come off his prospect star, but he'd be a decent like second baseman. And they have Wander Javier down at the lower levels if the Tigers want to go go big. But obviously it's up to the Twins being willing to part with prospects and, and things like that. But I don't know. I think there could be a fit there. We'll see. Yeah. Or even, you know, would you take a flyer on a guy like Lewis Thorpe? The, uh, was he a lefty? Yeah, he's a lefty, yeah. Yeah. Um, sure. <laughs> I mean, I take, what, I take what I can get. I want prospects. We need uh, – the Tigers need – and I, I would hope that they would get two like solid position player prospects, but take what you can get and work it out later. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you're right. And the Twins, and even the Twins internationally speaking, in the last ten years have done very well. So anything internationally the Twins have been able to do seem like it's worked out. So I would, I would take that pedigree, add a pedigree to it too as well. So, but uh, yeah. but either way, uh, we move on and we started their look at their inside the numbers for you. And uh, my inside number is a nice one. It's 69. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what, what, the 50th anniversary of Woodstock? It... Oh, which, which, by the way, was speaking of Woodstock, it was actually announced it was canceled. Yeah, yeah and then the hippies were devastated. Yeah, and then they realized they went back to their uh, cushy $300,000 a year jobs and were fine. Yeah, I can't wait to the 50-year anniversary of the fire, fire festival. <laughs> This is going to be one large canopy tent that never went anywhere with a cold sandwich. Yeah, the sandwich. That's like the iconic <laughs> picture of our time. Yeah, with the bottle, the... bottle of water. <laughs> Instead of the uh, you know, Olympians with their fists raised, we've just got limp sandwich. <laughs> and Instagram models. But uh, So my inside yeah. number for you that started off is 69, and that is the Spencer Turnbull's game score. And it's 69 and 65, and him and Matt Boyd have the same number because they both have had game score game score uh, of 69. So, um, and I, I based it off the fact that Spencer Turnbull's last couple st- or the 50. By the way, 50 is the average. This is a Bill James stat he created, and this is for uh, how a pitcher does overall game score. So, I bring up Spencer Turnbull because his last start. His game score was a 65, and then he had a 69 against the Pirates. So against Pennsylvania does very strong, but um, <laughs> Matt Boyd also with his his average game score by the year on the year by the way is 61 is uh, Matt Boyd and Spencer Turnbull is 56, so he's a little bit above average. But you know, Chris yesterday against Philly, he was those bats he he, he looked really good against the, the against the first place team against a lot of really good offensive talent and. They have that kind of game score already. They have it's the second best on the staff too, and clearly Turnbull's figuring things out. Yeah, he, he's been a very pleasant surprise, I think, to a lot of people, and uh, it's been it's been nice to go out and, and see him pitch. You know, he's got really, really nasty stuff. It's kind of strange the way he, he it's it almost seems like he he doesn't really know what it's going to do. So he just kind of aims and, and hopes 
But yeah, hitters. I mean, we talked before, or many times before, he even made his debut that that in the minors he was just absolutely elite at limiting home runs, and you could see why. It's just it's got to be damn near impossible to barrel him up. Um, I think he's like top five uh, in baseball in terms of fewest hard hit balls. Hard hit being more than ninety five miles an hour. So yeah, I mean he's it's been enjoyable to watch him, and he. You know, we've always had him ranked fairly highly at Tykestown. At least uh, he was up in the top 20 for a long time. He probably fell out for a while after a couple of injury-riddled seasons. But he, this potential was always there. It just, it's been a strange journey for him where he was throwing really hard and then kind of not throwing hard at all. And it's like, oh, maybe he's a reliever. Maybe he's a middle reliever. And now he looks looks like a solid like number four starter. Yeah, and in his, in, 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 he hasn't pitched over 100 pitches yet. He's been, he's been averaging about anywhere from 90 to 94. So they haven't, in the longest out he's had this year, it's been six innings, and he's done that three times. So he's going out there, does what he has to do, and, and but to have a kind of game score consistency bodes well. And I don't know, any way I can put in 69 and, 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 yeah. and mean it. And yeah, have a good you know, you got to make it work. Yeah, there we go. Um, but what's yours? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the one thing that, that they need from Turnbull is uh, – they need a little bit more length from Turnbill. Um, <laughs> it, it, but I, I don't know if that will ever come just by the way he's uh, where he pitches. It's going to be tough for him to have a ton of really efficient innings. I think he had one nine-pitch inning in his start the other day, but the rest of them were like you know 20. So you're, so, looking, at, you're looking at probably, what, 150 maybe tops this year? If he full yeah, season? probably. I, I, I don't know what his career high is. The general rule, you know, is that you don't want to go 25, 30 innings more than your career high before. So, let me see. What did he have last year? I, I, I've got his stats right here, too. He has pulled the most innings he has pulled in the minors, Chris. I, let's see. I have him at I'm 100. I think he had about 120, 100 and, 140 innings last year, maybe, total. Okay. Yeah, all right. so between four teams, yeah. Okay, I see that now. Yeah, so yeah, probably 150 innings. Will uh, and he's known for his shoulder will start barking once or twice a year, so that's something to, to look up, out for. Also, his middle name is Ketchum, which is fun. Oh yeah, I heard he was talking today during the uh, game. Uh, he was he was on with Matt Shepard and, and Jack Morris, and he had a uh, you know, uh, he was talking about walking around Philly and everything, and he definitely Ketchum definitely had that. Yeah. <laughs> He definitely had that good old uh, voice to him, so. Yeah, that's a little uh, like a Pokemon joke or something, but. <laughs> All right, Chris, what's, anyway. your, uh, what's your inside of the number? Uh, so, this I have to warn people, there's not going to be much of a payoff to this number. It's just something I noticed today, and I, I just want to talk about it. But uh, the numbers are 16 and 7.9. 16. So, 16 is degrees, which is the average launch angle on batted balls by the Tigers this year, mm-hmm. which is the highest in baseball which is not something I expected until I saw it. And it's really not that close. Like The Mariners are second at 15.2 degrees, and the Angels are fifth at 13.6. But at fifth, they are closer to the average launch angle of the 24th-place Mets than the first-place Tigers. The The average is 11.8%. So, not percent, uh, degrees. So, yeah, I don't know what the deal is here, because we've talked before about Lloyd McClendon is not really a launch angle guy. I, I, I don't think he's anti-launch angle. He just seems kind of agnostic. Like, he wants guys to hit line drives that's his big thing um but 
yeah, so you've got this team that's got the highest average launch angle in baseball, and then they're still dead last in home runs. And the Mariners have three more home runs than them, so it's not really all that close. So, yeah, again, you got, and beyond that, they're top 10 in exit velocity as hitters. So they're top 10 in exit velocity and the top average launch angle, and they're last in home runs somehow, and dead last in home runs per fly ball. That's where the 7.9 comes in. 7.9% home run per fly ball. That's lowest in baseball by more than 2%. Jesus. Uh, yeah, I looked at every team since 2015, which is basically when this home run bench started, you know, the second half of 2015, and that's 150 seasons, basically, and that 7.9% ranks 150. <laughs> so, I mean, it's still early in the year, so they can obviously change that, but as of right now, they have the lowest amount of fly balls going for home runs of any team in the last five seasons. Uh, and I just, like I said, there's not much payoff. I don't really know what's going on. I thought maybe they're hitting a bunch of lazy pop-ups, and that's somehow you know, skewing the, the launch angle data. But they rank 20th in baseball on pop-ups and fly balls, and they have the third longest average fly ball distance. So I, there's something strange. Like I don't, Comerica is definitely playing a part. Their their high home run per fly ball is just 6.3% at home, which is the lowest. So and that doesn't surprise us. But they're still the fourth lowest on the road at 9.1%. So I, maybe it's just a ton of bad luck, or maybe they've managed to assemble like the world's most impressive collection of players who can hit the ball pretty far and pretty high but not quite far enough. I, I don't know. Or maybe it's just all early season noise, but it just was something that, that kind of struck me as surprising. I wouldn't have expected them to be a launch angle team. Yeah, that, that is surprising. You know, it's even, it, it, it adds to the total here. What's, what's fascinating about so far about home runs too. You're talking about uh, currently this year has the highest percentage of runs scored by home runs in major league history, which is a uh, 43.6% of the total runs scored. Yeah, it's getting closer and closer to that like three-two outcome game, where it's just home runs, strikeouts, and walks. I know Major League Baseball hates it, but I don't know. I'm still watching. Whatever. Yeah, that, uh, it's not boring any millennials out there. Perhaps I don't know. Um, but I always like throwing out the millennial thing out there. But uh, yeah, take that in your fire festival. <laughs> take you and your limb sandwiches and your Instagram influencers. We had what did we have? We had we had Lollapalooza. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, we had we had good music festivals. We we invented music festivals. Gosh darn it! Oh man, but uh, no, but you know, it, it, Chris, that doesn't like. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around it. So is it like just even like I mean, the Tigers have played in some band boxes. They played in they played in the what they played in Guaranteed Rape Field. They played in Fenway. Yeah, well, that was one of the interesting things. Is I was like, all right, I, I was breaking it down by stadium to see. Is, is there like a higher launch angle in different stadiums? And it was among the lowest, like it was like 13% at Comerica. They were at like 18% at Yankee Stadium and 17 at, at, at Fenway. So, yeah, they may have just been trying to you know get it up in the air and hope for home runs. I don't know. I, I Maybe it's just somebody like Josh Harrison hitting these kind of cans of corn left and right. But... I don't know. It's hard for me to figure out. I need somebody smarter than me and uh, with a better grasp of this data to figure it out. Yeah, maybe we'll get Bill James on. I'll talk down there. You or something. There you go. But uh, you can speaking of old old people complaining about stuff. Yeah, back in my day, kind of thing. But uh, now it is time for the the good, bad, and ugly. And uh, that was a single. Sorry, I was looking at the, the, the hit the farmer just loud and a nice little Texas leader by Rio Mato. It's on the line. So, Chris, what is your good and bad ugly this week? 
Uh, so I decided to focus on first baseman. I like to use these segments as just a way to look around the league and see if there's anything interesting. So my good, and this is going to be a bummer if our old buddy Jeff Ellis is listening, but my good is Yandy Diaz, who uh, who's off to a fantastic start for Tampa. He's hitting 298 with a 15% walk rate and seven homers already, which is good for a 161 weighted runs created plus. And what's particularly galling, I think, for Indians fans is that everyone knew that he had this in him. He's always been this like huge muscular guy who hit the ball super hard and would always walk and always hit for average, but he always hit the ball on the ground. And he never posted an isolated power above 136 at any level with the Indians. And this year, his first year with the Rays, it's at 298 right now. And I don't really get it because his batted ball profile hasn't changed much. His launch angle is basically the same. He's hitting more fly balls, though, uh, and a crazy percentage of them are going over the fence. But you know, I'm skeptical he can keep it up. But if he does, he's like a six-win player. <laughs> and Cleveland traded him for Jake Bowers, who has a, a WRC plus of 87. So wah, wah, that's wah. my good. Um, my bad, and I kind of hate to do this, but I have to go with Miguel Cabrera. Um, still holding out hope. This, this still holding out hope, I should say, that this is just kind of an early season blip, or some sort of adjustment to whatever he's got to do to keep his back healthy. But he's been bad this year. His, his isolated power is 78, 0. 0.078. It's the lowest among first basemen by 60 points. And it's 173rd out of 183 in terms of qualified hitters in baseball. It's the same as Josh Harrison's. Oh, um, yikes. But in, in, again, this is weird. He's still hitting the ball really hard. So I can't really explain it. So his batting average is 282, but then he's got a BABIP of 390. So that's going to come down. A good 40 or 50 points. I mean, he's always had a pretty high bet because he hits a lot of line drives. Right. But it's never been 390. Uh, so, you know, if, if he doesn't offset that eventual regression with some home runs, you're talking like a 260 hitter with the power of a utility infielder. And it's like, oh, man, that's bad. And like I said, I, I'm hoping and expecting it to get better. But right now, not so much. And, uh, and ugly, my ugly, is, uh, I guess, Minnesota Twins, first baseman in general. But this one, it's, it's centered on C.J. Crown of the Twins, who, as you remember, the Rays just cut him last year and then worked out a deal with the Twins, I think. Uh, but, I mean, the numbers on the surface aren't really bad. He's hitting 237 with five home runs, which is, you know, 237 is not great, but whatever. Uh, but he's got the lowest walk rate and the lowest rate of hard contact and the highest rate of soft contact uh, among all first basemen in baseball. And it's, I don't know, it's like this weird curse of Justin Morneau, I think. The Twins, they, they no matter what they do, they can't seem to get a good first baseman. They had Logan Morrison last year, and he was a disaster. They had Kenny Vargas. I don't know if you remember him. Everyone's like, oh, he looks like David Ortiz, and then never did anything like David Ortiz. They brought in that uh, Korean kid, Young-Ho Park, and he was a huge bust. Before that, they had Chris Parmalee and Chris Colabello, like the independent league star. They, they both sucked. Uh, Maurer, you know, was a solid first baseman, but never anything special. You have to go back to, like, 2011 and Michael Kadire to the last time they were actually had a decent first baseman. So I, I don't know what it is, but, yeah, tough break for Crone so far. And that's my ugly. Yeah, and, and, and the Twins tr- franchise, Twins are tr- franchise, Ah, first baseman wise, have produced some. Uh, it's a pretty good one. I mean, Kent Herbeck comes to mind as uh, Tiger players would like to remember. Uh, from yeah, the and Morneau was great in his prime. Yeah, I mean, even Doug. So the concussions. Yeah, Doug McAvich, uh the Toledo Mudhens twin or the Toledo Mudhens, uh coach, actually wasn't bad of a first baseman either. That's 
kind of comes to mind too from those uh, early ninety or late ninety early Millennium Twins that really drove me nuts. But uh, yeah, I would have, those are kind of the first things I think of outside of Joe Maurer too as well. But uh, so my good and bad and ugly starts this week a little bit with um, let's pull this up. Uh, the good and that's would be the Angels rotation as it's coming late. But uh, it was a good debut for Griffin Canning as he went. He was the Angels. One of the Eagles' top pitching prospects went four one-thirds innings, three runs, six strikeouts, and one walk. And I wanted to bring this up because, I mean, Brad Ausmus out there, the Angels' staff has been just getting decimated with injuries. Andrew Hanley was on the DL. He had some shoulder, you know, shoulder inflammation, but now he he might be out for a little extended times. And then, I mean, Tyler Skaggs was on the IL for a little bit, uh, so he, he pitched last week. And then Matt Harvey, who the Angels spent some money on had I mean his has just been total garbage. We brought him up before in the good, bad, and ugly, but his last couple starts, thirteen innings, only allowed three runs with the ERA two point oh seven, and he picked up his uh, first win. But um, you know, in terms of I mean, even Trevor Cahill, who started off crappy, which is why the Angels started off the bad start, but um, he's he's getting eh, he's getting a little better. But to have Griffin Cannon back there to help him out. Um, I don't know the Angels. I, I they needed all that they can, and then him and Felix uh, Pena will probably end up going back to the bullpen. But the Angels are still they're only five back in the West. But to have be able to stick around like that with all the Seattle's hot start, Houston kind of starting off well, although they're uh, I think they're losing at the moment. As last I checked here, but uh, either way, um, not bad. Considering, and, and this is a guy who was in from their own backyard. Canning was uh, pitching out of UCLA. I think we've talked to him before, Chris, too, right? Like we've yeah, because him. he was he was in the same draft as Alex Fajardo, and he went, I don't know, 30 picks after him. Yeah. And he's already up in the majors um, and looking pretty good. And that, that's not to, like, I, I'm just not going to bomb the Tigers for that. A lot of people passed on Canning because he had thrown a ton of innings at UCLA and there was some injury stuff. But the Angels, like Fajardo, they – let him they didn't have him throw in his first pro season you know right after getting drafted and then he spent all offseason getting stronger and was coming out throwing much harder and with much sharper breaking stuff it was like oh well that's good um so yeah they've they've done a really impressive job of, of drafting and developing talent in uh, los angeles I, it's, it's still not translating to wins in ways that help but uh I don't know. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm kind of jealous of what they've got over there, even though the, their record isn't all that great. Just because it seems like they're gonna they're gonna be contenders for the foreseeable future, just because of the way they run things. Yeah, Billy. Yeah, I mean Billy Apper comes from a good pedigree. I mean, he comes from he was the director of uh, professional scouting with the Yankees. So nope. this is a guy who's got the pedigree and is able to turn around and look. Chris, you should give him all the props in the world. I mean, this guy's been able to turn around the farm system quicker than. Alavila is, and that's that, that's just not me exaggerating. That's just reality. And the Angels, and we we were talking about this beforehand, Chris. You were you were saying, and you were you were right. The Angels were t- towards the bottom of the league in farm systems. They were ranked lower than the Tigers, but they were thirtieth a couple yeah. years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they you go get Joe Adele, and he turns out to be a monster. And you get Canning, and I don't know if he Canning was second round or supplemental, but he's looks like a good mid rotation starter and. Brandon Marsh, and they go get Jordan Adams last year. I really liked their draft last year. They just, uh, yeah, I don't know. It, they, they've done a good job to supplement 
uh, at least in, theoretically in the future, they'll be able to supplement the uh, the major league roster and you know the best player in baseball. And when you have the best player in baseball, I think you you do have to go for it whenever you can, just because like you're not going to trade them. They signed them to an eight billion dollar contract, so figure out a way to do it. And you can either do it by trading away all your your prospects, or you can do it by getting better in the minor leagues, and that's what they've done. Yeah, and then through draft through their interna- internationally speaking, they haven't really struck there yet but once they do well they've got a couple of really interesting kids they got from the bahamas um it was deshaun knowles and trent devoe like they i don't know that they're, they're doing a lot of a lot of good things so it, it might take a little while but i'm expecting to be pretty pretty good here in the near future yeah yeah and it, especially for the division that is competitive as aos that should be should be fun to watch my bad this week this is uh one i saw i saved it because i thought it was we were Kind of ragging on him as well, but this is from MLB. This is at MLB Random Stats. A really good Twitter follow, by the way, if you get a chance. If you've not followed them yet, they show some really good random stats out there and some some good ones. And this is the case of the Davises. And uh, Chris Davis has been on the ugly quite a bit of times on Chris's list. I'm sure. I think he's been on my mm-hmm. list as well. But since August, or excuse me, since April 13th, Chris Davis has slash line 343-378-686, three home runs and 37 plate appearances. So this is Chris Davis of Baltimore. So Balt, you know, this is a guy who came in with what forty-five games without a hit or something like that. What was uh Yeah, I, yeah, I think it was like fifty-two straight at bats. Yeah, some crazy like that. And then Chris Davis of Oakland since April thirteenth, one fifty-nine, two forty-five, one eighty-two, zero home runs and forty-nine plate appearances. And this is a guy who started off the season pretty hot and has cooled off quite a bit. Although he had two doubles today as of uh, game as of recording time, but still. So it was like a body double situation. They they switched. They both peed in the fountain in a mall and switched bodies. <laughs> what happened was somebody walked by with a Walkman and they and it, like right in there and the electrical charge coursed through yeah. them. But uh, and then and then it was Kirk Cameron and Dudley Moore for some reason. <laughs> like by the way. I felt like Dudley Moore in every movie he was in the eighty was just drunk. Like, did he even know where he was? Did they just tell him like, "All right, Dudley, stand right here, say something witty," oh, and he was like, "Every." Well, I, I don't understand how why Dudley Moore got such a big run in the eighties. Uh, well, I'm not entirely sure, but I thought that was his shtick. Like, it was kind of like a Dean Martin thing where that was his whole thing. It was just to pretend to be drunk the whole time. But maybe he was actually drunk the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. Oh, that, that Kirk, yeah, it was one of the last Kirk, Cobram, Kirk, Kirk Cameron mainstream movies it was in before it went in a different direction. Let's just say that. Yeah. Uh, but the the ugly, unfortunately, I I have to go with Jacoby Jones of the Tigers. And uh, it's been a while since I've mentioned a Tiger on the ugly. But in the last, his entire road trip has not been kind to him. Except for, I mean, tonight's game excluded. Um, he has three for his last 25. Not including a game tonight. So three for the last 25. With just a pair of walks, he has struck out 14 times. Batting his slash line is 120, 185, and 280, and his on-base percentage is 465. And um, his balls in play is 200. His uh, bat, yeah. So, I Jacoby, I he's been stuff. He just kind of looks lost out there. Kind of looks overwhelmed, and um, just a matter. Of, I mean, I, I know the Tigers gave him plenty of chances before they would even. Think about entertaining the uh, idea of calling up Daz Cameron, but at some point, Chris, when do you decide to go with another direction? Yeah, you know, I, 
at, at a certain point, you can't let a guy just continue to go out there and die yeah. plate after appearance or plate appearance after plate appearances. Um, yeah, he just he, he just evidently can't identify pitches. It's basically, I think, the main issue is, is you see him. It's almost like you can see him when he's at bat, like he when it clicks, like oh, this is a breaking ball, and he's lunging at it. But uh, I don't know. I mean, they, like I said it before, Lloyd McClendon still thinks he's going to hit for some reason. He's got he's given us ample proof that he can't. I suppose it's um, to his benefit right now that Daz Cameron is hitting just about as well in AAA, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, I, I can't imagine that they are going to continue to send him out there well into, like, June if he stays like this. It's not that they're trying to compete, but you got to at least pretend, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just a matter of when. But it's, I mean, you look at Mike Matos back in Toledo – the Tiger outfield we knew was going to be kind of like a source of frustration for a lot of fans out there, but uh, but just overall kind of rough to watch. I mean, outside of Nick Castellanos, but uh, Jacoby's played good defensively. He's a good defensive center fielder. There's no doubt about that. But uh, if you, you yeah, I mean, there's yeah. a there's a lot to like there. He's a great defender. He's very aggressive on the base pass. He's a good base runner. He steals bases. He's got raw power. It's just he can't hit at all. And that's a damn shame. Yeah, it's a damn shame. And the Pir- uh, speaking, of the Phillies have gotten back in this game. It's four-two as of uh, recording time. As uh, they got to Farmer and some now Alcantara's up there driving for the Tigers. I love the high socks look. By the way, that's a it's a look that classic. Love it. But uh, yeah. So before we get to viewer, before we get to some listener questions, which we have a few this week, let's go down on the farm, Chris and. Tell me what's going on with uh, – we'll start in Toledo. Well, yeah, I just mentioned that, that Daz Cameron, uh, he's been struggling mightily. I think he's hitting about 180 right now. It's just been a brutal stretch for him. He's uh, 186 overall, yeah. He's 5 for 41 in his last 10 games with three walks and 17 strikeouts. He's just uh, – he's he and Jacoby Jones are A-likes here. Um, but then you have Mikey Matuk, who you just mentioned. He's been going ham. He's hitting 419 with nine extra base hits in 12 games. So it's, you know, you credit to him for getting designated and going down and not pouting and, and actually producing, making the team think twice about bringing them back up, I guess. But then it probably will happen because this is the way the Tigers do it. They can't quit, guys. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't know, one of the more positive developments to me is Willie Castro suddenly finding an eye at the plate. He's got like 13 walks this year. His walk rate has doubled. And obviously it's very early in the season, but... You add that to him. He's hitting for average. His BABIP is way, way high, so that's not going to stick. But there's a little bit of pop in there. It's like a 120 isolated power, and he's five for six on stolen bases. So, like, I don't know. Suddenly you start to see a potential solid player there just based on the stats. You know, scouting is a different story. We'll have to see. But the one concern is he's got seven errors already. Um, I don't know if that's him being stretched at shortstop or just needs to calm down or what, but... That's been a positive sign for me, at least uh, statistically speaking. The uh, the pitching remains very stinky. I'll say that. Cal Funkhauser is averaging fewer than three innings per start, which is not ideal. Um, Bo Burrows, he gave up two runs in his first 15 innings and has given up 12 runs in his last nine and two-thirds innings. So I think Ryan Carpenter leads the staff with a 4-6-7 ERA. It's, uh, they're, they're, you know, they, they have the new balls in AAA now. They're using the Major League Baseballs, and offense has just exploded. 
and it's not doing good things for the Toledo pitching staff at all. Exact like Houston's rocking in the ERA of on ten. So, and, and the team itself is the, what are they nine and sixteen? It's not what I expected this year, but it's been a rough go. We'll see if they can turn it around. Um, you know, the biggest stories of the week, though, obviously were in Erie. Oh yeah. Is, uh, I think we we were able to talk about the other no hitter last week, weren't we? Yes, correct. Yep. Yeah, so Seawolves go 10 years without a no-hitter, and then they get two in one week, which is kind of crazy. But it does, boy, it's building up. We try to calm people down and let them know, like, hey, this is these these prospects are solid, but you got to see this, this, and this. And then they go out and throw two no-hitters in one week, and you're like, well, good luck. Good luck <laughs> convincing the average fan that these guys aren't going to be the greatest pitcher since Nolan Ryan. Not to mention, I mean, look at the other, another start, uh, another strong start from Alex uh, Fado today. Yeah, Alex Fado, good start today. Matt Manning, a good start. He, he ran into some trouble in the sixth inning, but was dominant until then yesterday. Um, Casey Mize, I, I mean, how cool it is to to see a guy, you know, it was already going to be a big story. Like, hey, he's already bump, bumped up to double A. Then he goes out and throws a no-hitter in his first start there. It's just, like, super cool. Um, he was a, a perplexing start to me because it wasn't like ultra dominant, but he still got the job done. And uh, yeah, so and then you've got you got Logan Shore and Gregory Soto who are considered like top thirty, top fifty prospects in the system, just sitting there on the, the, the same rotation, going, "Oh well, all right, nobody's paying attention to us, and that's just fine." Shit. And they're not exactly pitching well, but you know it's just kind of funny. It's it's uh, from a prospect perspective, it's one of the better rotations I can ever remember the Tigers having. I'm not predicting that they're all going to all going to work out, but it's just kind of fun to watch there in the area. The offense, not so much. They Jose Azucar has just been absolutely ridiculous. He's hitting 392 right now, and in his last 10 games, he's hitting 486. The old like Pentium. Um, and no home runs and no walks though. He's just he's a very strange player. I we were trying to figure out who he's like. You've got this guy who can seemingly make line drive contact whatever he wants but has little in the way of power and doesn't walk and he's a good defender it's like it's a weird profile i can't think anybody in the majors like that but who knows maybe if he gets the triple a he'll get those juice balls and start putting some over the fence but i yeah i would expect him to you know with his approach i don't i don't think he's ever going to really succeed at a higher level but we'll see and then uh, Derek hill he's the regression has come for the most part it's he's still you know, I think the other day he had a two for four with a double. He's still putting the ball in play and getting some extra base hits, but he's not the you know like the three sixty hitter all he was all of a sudden with power. Um, and you know, hopefully he can stay afloat. I think he's still he might be, have been caught stealing four times already though. I need to look that up. I know it was like three, which was very strange because that's supposed to be his calling card. You know. Let's see, where is he? Where are you? There he is. Yeah, three steals and four caught stealing. You just you wouldn't expect that from a guy who is basically a 70-grade runner. Um, yeah, got caught stealing 12 times last year in, in 47 attempts. So, I don't know. Maybe he went to the Jake Robson school of stealing bases this <laughs> offseason. Uh, I kid Jake Robson. We enjoy Jake Robson. Yes, we do. Um, uh, I was going to mention, I think the last time the Tigers probably had a rotation like this that maybe you can get – Somewhat excited for what I mean in terms from a minor league perspective of pitchers who would actually pitch in the major leagues, and I'm not talking just hype guys. Guys are like, okay, 
these guys were somewhat in the major leagues. You have to go back to probably the, the 1976, 1977, Evansville and Montgomery. Like, you talk about the Evansville triplets versus the Tigers AAA affiliate at the time, which had Jack Morris, uh, they had Jack Morris and Milt Wilcox in that rotation. And, I mean, they went on to be regular majors. So, in terms of major league players that would pitch on a daily basis. But uh, Evansville also comes to mind, too, for the Tigers. Or, sorry, Montgomery. So, the 76 is the, the Rebels. Montgomery, the Rebels in 1976. That rotation was that also featured Jack Morris, Dave Rosma, who Rosma was a big prospect then, too. So, that's kind of like in terms of historically speaking, What's going on in Erie is is unique. Don't get me wrong; it's it's special. But the the, the amount of I, I think the what cracks me up a little bit is that people assume that pitching is going to be just because you have all these prospects. But in reality, you look at what well, like we mentioned this on Twitter, the Mets. You think about and people are like, well, what about the Braves? Well, the Braves, to be fair, folks, Steve Avery, Steve Avery, Tom Glavin, homegrown prospects. John Smoltz, technically, because they got him from the Tigers and, you know, they, they, they a good free agent signing Greg Maddox. So, but throughout, I mean, the Braves rotation was, I mean, even the, the guys that filled in after that, Kent Merker comes to mind, some other, Millwood, were guys they brought up, but they weren't, like, the Braves never were going to overwhelm you with pitching prospects. They just did a good job of developing overall talent. And I just, that's what I caution Tiger fans about is, all the hype train you want with the starting rotation, but look, I mean, even who's the the White Sox starter that went out last year with the elbow? Uh, Michael Kopech. Kopech. Yeah, Kopech. No. It's just, I think that if there's a couple more prospects, hitting prospects, I mean, you need to talk about Paredes a little bit. Um, it's, yeah, you know, there, there's you need some more bats, at least in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, I was thinking you know, there was that stretch at uh, like the start of the decade and, and I went back and looked, and yeah, like the twenty, the twenty eleven, SeaWolves rotation had Casey Crosby, Jacob Turner, and Drew Smiley in it, oh, and yeah. also like Luke Putconan. <laughs> um, but I mean, you think about that; those are, I don't know if Smiley ever made a top one hundred list, but Crosby and Turner definitely did, and and Smiley ended up being the best pitcher of all of them. So that's just one of those things. Like you got to keep it in perspective that not every prospect works out, and in fact, most don't. So. Just gotta keep it in perspective. That's all we're saying. Yep. Be realistic. Even when the guy goes out and throws a no hitter, it really makes our jobs harder. <laughs> but, the uh, gatekeepers. But uh, yeah, I, um, I, I suppose we can move down to Lakeland. But man, what a depressing team to talk about. Uh, um, the, it's basically they still they can't hit and they won't hit. Other than Brady Policelli or Policelli, I don't know how he pronounces his name. Uh, He's hitting 307 with 12 extra base hits and a couple of steals. He's been one of the better hitters in the league. But there's just hardly anything to talk about down there. Brock Dethridge is back, I believe, and he got over the Mendoza line finally. But you're still talking like 204 batting average. And Cody Clemens is hitting 165 with a 30% K rate. And, you know, the scouting reports coming out uh, of there about him are not positive in any way. So it's like, eh, I don't know. And maybe they just need to cancel – Close down the Lakeland affiliate. But, uh, yeah, I feel bad for Tarek Skubal, who is still interesting and, and fun to watch. He had a nice bounce back after his really rough start. Which was cool. So well, that's good was, to see. Yeah, I was going to say, that's what you're, you're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. You, you want to see a guy 
just brush it off and say, you know, these things happen. I got to get better. Or it was just one of those days. And he did that. So that's good to see. But yeah, I mean, Lakeland's nine and 15. They, they just can't hit. There's nobody there. There's so many organizational players in that lineup and on that roster. It's just, it's bad. Yeah, it's a reflection on that 2017 draft we talk about. Yeah, Rivera's just off to a terrible start. Like, it was in the point where, among our Twitter chat, they suggested he should go back to West Michigan. Yeah, I mean, Keenan's talked about that, and it's it's probably right. Like, because you've got, uh, if we would go to West Michigan, then Nick Ames is a first baseman there who's their top hitter right now. And it's like, well, what's, is this really good for Rivera's development? I don't know if he's going to develop. We talked last year, Lance Parrish came right out and said he didn't think that Rivera was going to hit above uh, high A if if he didn't change his swing. And I don't think it's happened. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's rare for a guy to get sent from Lakeland down to West Michigan and figure things out, although Azakar apparently did it last year. But, yeah, so, I don't know. It's it's. I feel bad for our friends in Lakeland, although maybe they'll get some promotions later in the year. But even still, like the, the the most interesting players in West Michigan are the young guys who almost certainly won't get promoted. So like I said, it's kind of just a holding pattern in West Michigan. They're, they split a doubleheader today. They're 11 and 13. I mentioned Nick Ames. Reese Hampton, the center fielder, is hitting pretty well. And you got Ulrich Boyarski doing a lot of damage when he when he hits the ball. He He's not walking at all, which is always going to be an issue with him. He's kind of a very aggressive player. But then the interesting young guys, you know, Jose King, Sam McMillan, Parker Meadows, Winsel Perez, Winsel Perez, all hitting between 215 and 231. They're all walking a bit and stealing some bases, but just 10 extra base hits between them. But, you know, it's so hard to hit and hit for power in the Midwest League that you just kind of want them to stay afloat. That's all you're asking for. And Perez is hitting 300 over his last 10 games, so that's a potentially positive sign. Um, you know, on the pitching side, Carlos Guzman went out and had his best start of his career. I think he struck out nine and five no-hit innings, which is kind of – you know, he got a lot of hype heading into the season, and that was the first time he's really, I think, lived up to it. And then Garrett Hill uh, hasn't allowed a run in 19 innings. He was, I don't know, like a 24th-round pick out of San Diego State. Just a, uh, a righty with a fringe average fastball, but he's got a good changeup, and so does Guzman. And what do we always say about the Midwest League? If you have a changeup, you can dominate that league. I don't know why these players, they just haven't seen changeups, I guess. So... Yeah, I don't know. It's it's not been a good start to the year for the minor league teams, uh, other than you know you've had some really nice pitching up in, in Erie and Scooble's done well, but the position players aren't really hitting a ton, and uh, the teams aren't winning. So it's been a, a bit of a depressing start. We'll, well see if they can turn it around. Oh, Victor Reyes, Victor Reyes, beating out, legging out for for single there. That was a uh... Victor, Victor Reyes is yeah, playing. Yeah, speaking. Yeah, he he got in. Did I? Did I see that Jordy Mercer hit a home run? Yes, you did. So it was funny, and I had that whole thing about players with the most barrels without a home run. And it was Castellanos and Cabrera, and then they both hit one, and then it was Mercer. And so now he's off the list. So now it's uh, the guy at the plate right now, Jamer Candelario. would be interesting if he had a home run to tie the game. Yeah, that would be but, nice. Uh, before we get too off track, there's two arms I wanted to ask about that. I wasn't sure. I just wanted to kind of see if you had heard anything or – they're just going to be kind of org arms, but they're off to, of course, we. I want to make sure that anybody listening out there that just looking at a box score or looking at stats is just there's more to it. So two guys that come to mind with that, 
and I haven't seen anything, or I was trying to look, research a little bit, was Billy Lesher, who's on Lakeland, and uh, Angel Reyes, who's off to a pretty good start in West Michigan. Um, now, so I, I don't know much about Lesher. I think he might be a side armor. I'd have to look that up. Um, Angel Reyes is an interesting one. He, he was the guy they drafted out of, like, the Oklahoma College of Arts and Sciences. <laughs> yeah, like, I was going like, to. I don't know if that was a real school or not. Yeah, and, and I was not able to find any. When, after the draft, I was like, who the hell is this guy? And I was looking up, and there was a, a single article about him on the website for that school where they said he had been clocked as high as 97 with a good slider. And I was like, well, all right. That'll work for me. And, uh, yeah, he's been pitching well out of the bullpen there. And I don't think he's too old. Maybe he's 20, he is. No, he's, 20, he's 21. I mean, he, has, he does have a little bit of a high walks, but. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it sounds like it just could be one of those live arms that they're that they're hoping they can hone a little bit. And I should mention, like, speaking of that, Will, Will Vest got promoted to double-A Erie, I think, and I think he picked up his first career save up there. He's kind of another one of those random – Interesting arms. I think earlier in the year, I I predicted that he would be like the new Paul Volcker, where people would be like, "Hey, what about this guy? Is he a guy?" And he's almost a guy, but he's not really a guy. Um, but we'll see. I mean, maybe Vest actually is a guy. I don't know. He looked okay when I saw him in spring training. So, but yeah, I, I unfortunately I can't really tell you much about Leisure and Reyes. All I have is a vague uh, report of some velocity. But that's why we got to get out there to West Michigan, I suppose. Yeah. We got oh, dear God. <laughs> what happened? Everything okay? Uh, yeah, no, there's uh, stuff all over my basement. <laughs> no, I mean, it's just, it's just like, it's not like a sound effect. That's what cracked me up about it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I went like full, uh, was it uh, the guy who played Frazier? What's his name? Oh, uh, Kelsey Grammer? Kelsey Grammer, yeah. The, the great clip of him talking at Disney World, and then he falls <laughs> off the stage. Yeah. It was my version of that. Oh, that's a good call there. Um, yeah, we got. Yeah, we got. Yeah, we got to go out to West Michigan. Erie is on the table too, as well. There is there is talk about going tripping. Ken Lario with a nice at bat here. Is a, I think it's like a nine pitch at bat against. Yeah, Nishak. that's it. We talked earlier. He'll do that for you. Yeah, that's, that's his top skill right now. Is, is giving you good at bats and playing defense. Eight pitch at bat. There. Yeah, so very clearly pitching him away. Yeah, Nishak is until they throw him in and he struck out. But yeah, I forgot oh, about Nishak still being in the league. No, it's okay. I, I forgot he's got that. He did a really, um, yeah. It, it looks, yeah, and then it, it, exactly you called it, Chris. He went inside, and then it struck off exactly for Baylor as you called it. But uh, no, and, and the reason I was asking about some of these arms too is because there's a lot of guys that early on you you see with some stats, and you have to kind of wonder and and, and just kind of look. And I, 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 some of these guys actually tried research today, and I couldn't find anything on them. So yeah, one thing. There's a lot of random baseball videos on YouTube, so sometimes you can see these pictures. Like somebody will have a like I don't I don't know where Billy Lesher came from. Um, but, he came out of uh, I think he was out of Pennsylvania University. Of Pennsylvania. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, here's there are videos of him, Billy Lesher with a, a 97.4 mile an hour pull down, which is what they call it. You know when you get that big running start and throw. Yeah. So. And there's one of Scooble running around the internet with it where he hit 100 doing that. But uh, let's see. I'm watching right now. Lesher. No, yeah, he's just a pitcher. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, I have to go out and get eyes on him at some point. 
Yeah, so def- that's definitely going to happen for sure. Uh, we're due for that. But uh, we do have some uh, question- questions this weekend. One of them involved uh, Casey Mize, and that was from uh, Ca- Carl Coffee from a uh, podcast, Coffee with Friends, a pretty good podcast. Um, so, yeah, what was he? Was, his question was, "Will we see Mize in Detroit this year?" Yeah, uh, I I do not think so. I think that he probably could pitch in Detroit and be the Tigers like third or fourth best starter right now pretty easily. Uh, but I do think he's, he needs to face some more advanced hitters. And beyond that, I, I think that the Tigers just to have no interest in starting his arbitration clock or whatever, you know, they, I could see potentially bringing him up for a start at the end of the year. Just be like, hey, this is what it's going to be like. You're going to be with us starting at the beginning next year. But I'm almost positive that they will do the thing that all the teams are doing where they wait until May or June or something like that to bring them up next year. And that way they get the extra year of service time. And beyond that, like one of the considerations, and we mentioned this earlier with Turnbull, is innings. I think Mize threw about 130 innings total last year. He's already got 35 this year because he keeps pitching so damn far into games. He's averaging seven innings to start. So they're either going to have to skip a couple starts or he's going to have to start, you know, throwing five inning, struggling a little bit, or he's going to hit his innings limit in like late July. So that's something they have to consider. So, yeah, I don't think there's any reason to push him uh, to Detroit. But you never know. There might be a double header and they just go, what the hell? Let's give the fans something. But I, I highly doubt it. Yeah, and then you know, the other question we had to um, this came from uh, at uh, or Kyle Wiley or Kylie Wani. Sorry, I'm pronouncing it incorrectly. At uh, K underscore Wall Nation three on Twitter, is that foregone conclusion that Avila deals Green and Boyd for position prospects like he should, or is there a realistic chance that he sits on his ass and the only deal he makes is Tyson Ross for a bag of balls? <laughs> I uh, so. We talk about Avila not being a great GM, but I don't think it would be a situation where he's just like doesn't realize that he should should trade these guys. It, it, it's possible that he asks for too much and they don't get something. I think Green is under contract this year and next year, and Boyd is for this year and three more years. So it's possible they could try and like what they did the Castellanos and go, you know what? There's uh, not you're not giving us what we want. Maybe we'll come back next year and try it again. I would hope not. Especially with Green, I think with Green you've got to move him. Especially you know, if he continues pitching like this, you should be able to get a decent position player prospect, and there should be people out there get, asking for him. And yeah, Boyd. I mean, Boyd is there. I think I think what Boyd is doing is real. I suspect that he will run into a little bit of trouble eventually. I don't think he's going to be the best pitcher in baseball by F4 all season, but. If he continues to do this, like that, that's there's just so much value to to be traded there that they've got to explore it and they've got to go out and see if they can get a nice package of, of position player prospects because they just they don't have what it takes in the farm system right now. And uh, you know I, I don't think they want to keep Boyd and then bring up the pitching prospects and then try to trade them. I think they'd, they'd be better off trying to trade Boyd and hope that the pitching prospects work out but 
Yeah, I, I don't see much of a chance that Avila is just not going to trade him because he doesn't feel like it. Yeah, that, that and to me, I, I think that if, like for I think where Avila might be the his his mistake is waiting out for something that may not happen and waiting too long. That's where I think yeah. they might be guilty of. But uh, you know, if you look at teams like the Red Sox, I mean, look, Craig Kimball is still out there. He hasn't been signed anywhere. You have the Red Sox who need, uh, you know, they need a bullpen piece to stay in it. However, what do the Red Sox really have in terms of positional talent in their system? I mean, as Michael Chivas is going to be like somebody mentioned earlier that that he could be a possible trade candidate for the right bullpen piece. But again, that's just a pipe dream to me, at least to get somebody like Michael Chivas. Yeah, Chavis is uh, he's been an interesting prospect because. uh, Oh, oh, and Drew Drew. Zach Reiner gives up a home run. Um, yeah, uh, sorry. Yeah, Chavis, he had kind of an up-and-down prospect career that included a suspension for PEDs and stuff like that. But he is a an infielder with power and a little bit of hitting ability, I think. I think Dombrowski will certainly entertain the option of trading him. I don't know if Dombrowski and Avila are ever going to trade. I can't say for sure that there's like hard feelings there, but I don't get the impression that they're best buds anymore. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there should be a lot of options. These the, the Phillies, you know, they they've got Scott Kingery. They signed him to that super long extension. That curveball. Now they have all these other infielders. That curveball just that curveball so just hung in there. It was just a blah pitch. From Ryan yeah, Zach Reiniger's not good. Yeah, sorry. Uh, go go ahead. Continue. Sorry, it's just. Um, no, I just say it. I think uh, there should be a lot of potential candidates for Shane Green. Now Boyd is is a little bit more interesting because it sounds like there's going to be like Madison Bumgarner is probably on the market, and Robbie Ray is supposedly on the market, and there's another lefty that I'm I'm forgetting right now. But there's there's going to be a good number of left-handed starters on the market. You could argue that right now. Boyd is, is the most attractive of them. Certainly the most attractive contract, I think. But I don't know. That's going to – it's going to take some wily maneuvering from Avila in the front office. And, again, you know, we've, we've seen a couple solid trades out of them. But I need to see some more. They need to, they need to hit a home run, not to use a baseball metaphor. They have to really nail these to, to help the system. Otherwise, they're just setting themselves back. I mean, a team of two that you could look at, if you're talking about for Shane Green, I mean, honestly, I wouldn't mind looking at the Mets. I mean, we've talked about the Mets. They're, they're The Mets they have a pretty good system. I mean, they're getting some talent in there. And if they could poke away a player or two, a position player from the Mets for Shane Green, the reason why I mentioned Shane, the Mets because the NL East is kind of like, I think it's wide open this year. More, it's more So far, it's shaping up to be more wide open than I thought because I thought with the Nationals making some signings to strengthen their – the pitching and the catching a little bit, I thought that, well, maybe they would have enough, but the Nationals, per usual, starting off strange. I mean, they're off, they're under five hundred right now. The Braves are not what – like, Braves will come down to earth. And I think you – yeah, I think you call that too, Chris. I mean, you thought the Braves were going to come back down and be a little realistic. But Philly in first place, it's not – I mean, as much as Philly is good, I still think if the, if the Mets can make – like, if they get – stay over five hundred in May, have a decent June – why not go after somebody like Shane Green to keep yourself in contention? Yeah, no, absolutely. They, like I said, they're, they're just there should be options galore for any of these. There are a lot of teams contending in the National League, or are planning on contending, and 
there should be no shortage of options. It's just, uh, you know, it's all about playing the teams off each other and not getting fooled and making sure that they take your guy and not somebody else. So we'll see if Avila can and work that. And they did. They obviously did pretty well with the Justin Wilson Alex Avila trade. So it'd be nice to do something like that again and get another potential everyday regular for a reliever. That would be a trade I'd make just about every day of the week. Yeah, and if they were, if look, if he can somehow do a minor, like a uh, a Jedi mind trick on the Brewers, look, I mean, like the Brewers got, <laughs> like, honestly, like, and I've, I've talked about this before, everybody kind of gives me the, okay, Roger, right, pipe dream look, but, I mean, look, if they can get somebody, I'm trying to think of the second baseman I was really a fan of. Hira? Yeah. Justin Hira? Yeah. Look, if they can pull a, a Jedi mind trick for him, you know, a man can dream. You know, I'm just saying. Like, it's not realistic, yeah, I mean, of course. You know, <laughs> I, I I don't think it would be too crazy to ask for Hira if you're trading Matt Boyd. Oh yeah, well there, there we go. Wow, that's a, that's an even better idea, Chris. But yeah, I, I, who knows that there are players out there to get, and the Tigers hoping hoping that they can get the job done. Or yeah, I don't know what else. It, it, it's they're not quite a finished product, that's for sure. And I, I don't know what you're going to get out of a team in the next three years that has like Matt Boyd and Turnbull and Mize and Manning and two hitters. So you've got, you've got to balance it somehow. Yeah. Just that, you know, it, it, it's, it, it's what's interesting too for the Tigers and from a position standpoint too, what they could, I would honestly ask for three or four players that just don't, Pitching could come in. I mean, I think pitching's important to grab too. But uh, you know, if they can get the most position players out of out of any haul they can get, that would be that'd be fantastic. So, um, yeah, and, and it, it, by all accounts, it sounds like they're going to be taking a position player with the fifth pick in the draft, and possibly again in the second round. So they're going to get a little bit of help that way. But we could talk about that next week, I suppose. Oh, definitely. And uh, yeah, we, we'll have uh, we'll have a guest on next week, uh, Brian. Sadowski from Perfect Game will be joining us next week. But the one last thing I'll leave you guys with, and this is something that this is worth mentioning for any Tiger fans out there that was imperative to to mention that in terms of drafting and and just kind of keeping this in mind for the free fans out there. With Juan Soto, Victor Robles, and Carter K. Boom all homering in this in the same game. This was a couple days ago. Nationals are first team since nineteen oh eight with home runs for three different players age twenty one or younger in the same game. That was from uh, Sarah Lags, uh, who covers the Nationals. So, if the, the, my, the reason why I bring that up to get younger talent, you get if you get lucky, you get draft well and or just look scout well. That can happen to you. So, there you go. Yeah, this could be you if you scout well. Yeah, if you, yeah, exactly. Boom, there you go. That's a good way to put it. So, uh, yeah. So Brian's gonna join us next Tuesday. Uh, we'll be talking draft. Follow us on Twitter at. Tigers are SRD. Follow me at Rajcast81. Follow Chris at ChrisBound0914. Check out the latest Locked on Tigers tomorrow morning as Chris will probably recap tonight's bullpen debacle. Debacle, I don't know, the uh, disaster. Uh, Chris, what else are you going to plan on covering on Locked on Tigers? Uh, just a uh, yeah, recap of the game. And then I, I think since I did the players of the month for the Tigers, I might as well do that for the minor league system real quick. And then there's no game tomorrow, so I'm going to have to do a look around baseball, probably take a look at the National League West. 
Ooh, I'm intrigued about that, especially the Diamondbacks. Staying competitive in their second place right now, and the Rockies off to yep. continue. The Rockies continue the struggle, um, but there's plenty, yeah, plenty, uh, plenty of good baseball around. So check out all the great podcasts at SportsRealDetroit.com. New set piece coming out for you for soccer, Overtime Media Networks. Uh, the guys who run the, the do a brew the Brewers podcast does a great job. So check out all our great content over at Overtime Media as well. So for myself, for Mont Castillo, and for Chris Brown, we'll see you next time.